uh, to the Lord and building his kingdom. So I'm gonna pray for this morning's offering. Thank you, Jesus, just for the joy it is to worship you. Bless us all with your presence. No matter how many times, if this is our first time coming before you or, or we've been here many years at Wawasee Bible, we just lift our hearts in praise and worship to you. Bless us with your presence. Uh, we just commit this morning's offering to you. We say we love you as we give you this morning's offering. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Dave. Thank you to the worship team for leading, and good to see you this morning. Good morning, a couple of you. The rest of you, I'm good. it's good to see you too. And uh, glad you're here today, and uh, of course, uh, we're glad to be back. Hannah and I had uh, done a little tour of the Midwest. We went up to see my brothers, who all live in the Minneapolis area, and then down to my mom's house as a group uh, celebrated Christmas last week in Iowa, and uh, we way back finally on Monday and got all kinds of miles on the vehicle and uh, got to see it's it's cold pretty much everywhere so just so you know it's not much different here but hey I'm glad you're here today and uh, as over the next three weeks um, we're going to be in a short series and I would really encourage you as Pastor Dave mentioned to get signed up or to consider a life group if you're not in one already it's pretty easy even if uh, you need to know if you sign up for one or try one, you're not signing up for life, just to do life with somebody for a while and uh, really just for a semester. So uh, there's all different groups out there. If a group that you're interested in is full, you can still jot your name on there and we can check and see if we can get you in. Otherwise, uh, mark your name on one of the other ones. Uh, find me a group and uh, we will do exactly that over the next couple of weeks and help you get plugged in. But it begs the question, I wonder... Uh, how many friends do you have? Think about it for a second. How many friends do you have? Not acquaintances, friends. Who would you say is your best friend? Do you have one? You might, you might not. I wonder, do you, uh, do you ever feel lonely? If something tragic happens in your life, who's the first person you call? If something good happens in your life, who's the first person you call? Do you call posted on social media? Friends. Ever thought about that? My guess is you probably thought about it more than you care to admit. And oftentimes we think about it the most when we realize we need a friend. You know, according to Mayo Clinic, there's emotional benefits to friendship. Did you know this? There's actually been studies that, that show the benefit of having a friend. Makes a good uh, sitcom theme too, doesn't it? I mean, the, the song for Cheers, you want to go where everybody what? Knows your name or how about uh, even the TV show Friends, right? I'll be what? There for you. A couple of you know that. Or the Golden Girls. Hey, what is it? <laughs> that's, a, that's a good, that's a good move, Terry. Terry's like, I don't know how to watch that show. <laughs> Thank you for being a friend. Friendship is, is all over the place. You know, I wonder, have you ever thought about it though? Even scientifically, the Mayo Clinic uh, discovered this. It increased 
a person's sense of belonging and purpose when they had at least three or four good friends. Boosted happiness, reduced stress, improved their self-confidence and self-worth, helped them cope with trauma, and encouraged them to make healthy choices in their life. On the flip side, research also shows that a lack of friends or a lack of some kind of social network, we're not talking on, online right now, we're talking like real life interaction, a lack of that can increase your risk for substance abuse, health problems, even mortality. One author I read this week argued that smack, we're smack bang in the middle of the greatest loneliness epidemic in history. Because more and more people are connected online, but they're not really connected to other people. You, you need a friend. You need friends, plural. Studies show us that loneliness can contribute to dementia. <laughs> you need a friend. Heart attacks it contributes to strokes, diabetes, a whole host of uh, one uh, At one point, the London-based, uh, a London-based journalist uh, claimed this, that loneliness is more dangerous smoking 15 cigarettes a day and deadlier. And what I want to argue today is that that's by God's design. That he's made you needing friendship. Needing relationship. And so what we're going to do over the next three weeks, today we're going to talk about why that is, why and how God has designed us. And then next week we're going to say, we're going to look at the Bible again and say, what does that look like? What does good, healthy friendship look like? And then uh, that third week, and even over the next two weeks, we're going to talk a little bit about the how. How do you be a good friend? What does it look like to be truly in relationship and in friendship with someone? So with that, um, let me pray. And then we're going to dive into a handful of things this morning, looking at how God designed us needing friends. We all need friends. Let me pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thank you that um, for those of us, Jesus, who've trusted you, you say that you call us your friend, that, that we can have a relationship and a friendship with you, the creator of the universe. That's incredible. And you designed us for friendship. And so I pray today uh, as I teach and as I preach, you would speak uh, through me by your spirit and uh, Lord, that you would show us the way you've created us needing and lacking in, in relationship that can only be filled uh, through other people and Jesus through you. So I pray against the enemy, uh, service that works and effects, he would uh, cause us to be lonely and isolate ourselves all the time. But Jesus, you call us to friendship. And so uh, would you teach us that this morning, I pray? And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Hey, so before we get going today, I wanna nerd out a little bit theologically with you. Is that okay? All in favor, say yeah. yeah. The rest of you, it's too late, we're going. <laughs> so here's the deal, here's what, here's, here's what I wanna talk about. God, you, you can understand this piece, or at least understand is a big word because you're never gonna fully understand this, but you have to have a concept of this that God is Trinity. God is triune. What do we mean by that? Have you ever heard that before? God is Trinity. Now, now maybe uh, you're new and you're like, okay, I've, I've been to church. It's been a long time. I've heard that. I've heard a church is called Trinity, but I don't necessarily understand what Trinity means or what the Trinity is. So what does it mean 
to say that God is Trinity. Well, here, I'll, I'll give you the theological definition, and then we'll try to unpack it. And all of this kind of sets the argument, so bear with me here, okay? Here's what it means that, to say that God is Trinity. It means this, that God eternally exists, he's eternal, in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and each person is fully God, and there is one God. Now, uh, at face value, you might hear that and you go, that sounds like three gods, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And on the surface, I would agree, it it sounds like that, but that's not what it is. When the Bible teaches about who God is, it, it over and over and over references, it doesn't use the term Trinity, but it does represent or does reference him in plural terms, that there's the Father and the Son and the Spirit, and all of them are equally God. Jesus is equally God, like the Holy Spirit is equally God, like the Father is equally God, and together they are one. But they're three persons. Does that hurt your brain? It hurts mine a little bit, but the Bible teaches that to be very much true. And uh, this is of the Trinity, one God, three persons, three in one. And the, the basic, here's just the, kind of the basic tenets, if you're keeping notes, the tenets of the Trinity, you could sum them up as follows. God is three persons, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Each person is fully God, and there is one God. They are one. Now, uh, this is hard to explain, and many people have tried and I'm going to give you a few analogies that, that can be helpful, but only to a point. Um, the, the first one that often comes to mind when somebody's trying to describe the Trinity is the idea of an egg. Anybody have eggs for breakfast? I didn't either. It sounds good right now, though. You had an egg, like you, you have one egg, and it's got three parts to it, doesn't it? It's got the shell, it's got the white, and it's got the yolk. Three parts, but how many eggs? One egg. Now, like I said, all of these are helpful in thinking about this, but they fall apart a little bit because like uh, in, in an egg, it's not a perfect analogy because the shell is not the same as the white and the white is not the same as the yolk. They have uh, different attributes about them. Whereas in the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all fully and equally God. Blow your mind a little bit, right? Okay, let me give you another one. So uh, water is another example, H2O. When it's in liquid form, it's water. When it's in a gas form, what is it? Steam or water vapor. When it's solid, what is it? Ice. So you have it, it's, it's still this, the same molecule of water can move from being uh, liquid to a vapor to a solid. But again, here's where this one falls. Not all three at the same time. Uh, modalism is a, if you, you want to get nerdy in terms of theology, modalism would say that God, uh, like he puts on this mask and he switches from being, now I'm, the, now I'm the son, puts on a new mask, now I'm the father, puts on a new mask, now I'm the spirit. No, no, no. It's all three eternally existing at the same time. So that's where the water analogy kind of falls apart. Um, maybe one of the better ones would be the roles of a person. And again, this isn't complete because it's just speaking roles, but it, it, it's maybe more helpful. So let's use me, for example. I, I was home visiting my family this week, and I saw my mom. And uh, to my mom, I'm a son. And at the same time in the room was Charlie, who's my son. 
And so at the same time, while I'm a son, I'm also a father, fully both at the same time. And then also Hannah was there and I'm her husband. So I was a father and a husband and a son all existing in the same, same place, same time. Maybe that's another helpful way to think about it. The, the reality is you're never gonna totally get your mind around it. And uh, for me personally, I worship God for that because I don't know that I, I can totally, fully get my mind around me above him. And what kind of God is more knowledgeable then? But God is Trinity and the Bible makes it clear over and over. And it's a very big reality that you've got to at least acknowledge, even if you can't totally fully get your mind around it. But some people think that the Trinity is something, <clears throat> excuse me, that's only revealed in the New Testament. That the doctrine of Trinity uh, didn't exist before that, but one of God's attributes is he is in other words, in the New Testament, when Jesus comes on the scene, right, invisibly, and he's born to Mary, um, well, God is eternal. Jesus existed before he was born to Mary and put on flesh. And so eternally, even in the Old Testament, we see the Trinity. He shows up even in the first chapter. Do you got your Bible? I'll give you an easy verse to find. The very first one. Look in the very beginning of your Bible. It says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was, excuse me, hovering over the face of the waters. We see both God the Father, God the Spirit involved in creation, but it gets even more interesting when you look at how some of the ancient Jewish rabbis understood this passage when they interpreted the Hebrew Bible uh, into the common language of the people, into Aramaic. And, and they did a word study of Hebrew word in the beginning, which means it is this it's Hebrew word, I won't bore you with it for too long here, but Rashit is the Hebrew word for beginning. And they found that it's the same way as the word firstborn four times in the New Testament. And they concluded that the, that the term beginning and firstborn, this one term in Rashid, uh, mean the same thing. And so there's actually translation of Jewish rabbis from thousands of years ago who would say, in the beginning, by the firstborn, God created the heavens and the earth. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. So in other words, the Jewish rabbi been referenced all three without understanding that of the Trinity when they interpreted this passage. But God shows up in the beginning and you, you see it many other times too. We're gonna see it here in just a minute where often God refers to himself as us. Why does he do that? Is he just really that pompous? I believe those are all references to the Trinity and it happens later in this chapter in Genesis chapter one, we're gonna see here in a moment. And it happens all throughout the Old Testament that God uh, is referencing himself as a plurality, as, as Trinity but he also clearly declares that he is one God. Now, with that in mind, here's what I want you to take away today. We all need friends. We all need friends. And the fact that we all need friends, I believe is rooted very much in this Trinitarian nature of who God is. Because in the Trinity, our doctrine statement will say that uh, God exists in eternal uh, loving relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's in 
by being three persons, he's constantly in relationship with himself, which is hard for us to grasp because we're not Trinitarian in our, our makeup. We're one person, each of us individually, right? But God is three persons. And so there's this constant loving relationship happening among himself. Now, if you're not there yet, just fast forward a little further in Genesis 1 to uh, verse 26. See, because God creates everything, and in verse 26, he gets around to making us. Look at verse 26. Then God said, let us make man, let us make humanity in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Notice right there, it said, God said in verse 26, let us make man, let us make humanity in our image, in our image, in our likeness. So uh, as a person who's been created, you and I are image bearers. We're unique among everything else God created. We actually are made in his likeness. We bear his image. Now, part of his image is that he's relational. You know, there's, in bearing God's image, it means we're like him, like we reflect him to the rest of the world. So let's think of some attributes of what God is like, right? He's, he's loving. So when we're loving, we reflect God. He's creative. So when you create something and you make something creatively, you're imaging God. He tells, tells them to have dominion over the earth. God is sovereign over all things. So like, uh, guys, when you're mowing your yard or ladies, you're mowing the yard, right? And you're having dominion over all the wild weeds out in the backyard. You're doing God creation stuff. Like you're imaging God. You're like him. Nothing else in all creation is like us in that we bear his image. But there's one aspect of his image you cannot reflect by yourself. He's triune. It's father, son, and spirit. He's relational. You cannot reflect that relational part of God's attributes by yourself. We all need friends. We need friends. Needing friends, that's the part of bearing God's image. Uh, I'm not gonna have this on the screen, but if you got your Bible open, you can keep reading with me. It says, after this, after God created them, verse 28, God blessed them. And God said to them, to Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, so do it. These are all the ways they're gonna image him. Uh, have dominion over the fish of the sea. You guys, if, if there's ever any eye Ice fishing, again, God stuff, right? It's, it's imaging God. Fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that's on the face of the earth, every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food of the earth, every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. 
In verse 31, God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Now it says that everything he created was very good. But if you move into Genesis chapter two, which I want you to do with me for a second, you're gonna see that there is in fact that God left that he said was not good. He declared everything to be good, but there's one thing that he said was not good. My mic keeps cutting out, so I'm gonna move to this. You got me? How about, there we go. All right, do I sound, I sound, yeah, I just, I sound more uh, dignified now, don't I? Kind of deeper? <laughs> You'll pay more attention for sure. There we go. That's what I get for mouthing off. Turn off the mic. But God said there was one thing that was not good about all he created. Now, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, both kind of, Genesis 2 kind of repeats some things that happen in Genesis 1. If you read it, some people get hung up on this and they say, well, those are two different conflicting accounts of creation, but uh, they're not. And the reason I can tell you they're not uh, is that as you look at it in terms of how it's written in Hebrew, which is how it was originally written, uh, chapter one gives an overview and Genesis two just circles back to give more details. One is just uh, poetry in Hebrew. It's a poetic summary. And then two kind of circles back and says, now here's the details of how some of those things happened. So in chapter two, we read that there was something that God had created that was not good. And it, it comes about in Genesis chapter two, uh, starting in verse 18. Look at verse 18 with me. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. The one thing that God said was not good of all the things that he had created was for the man to be left alone. Why? Well, because he's created in God's image. And if he's going to fully image God, he needs somebody else to be in relationship with in order to image God perfectly, doesn't he? See, this is before sin enters the world. This is at the very beginning. God created us lacking. He created you needing, I would argue, a friend. He created Adam that way. And so what happens? Well, in the next few verses, you read that uh, God starts marching along all of the different created beings past Adam, trying to find a helper who is suitable for him. Tiger, no, cool, but not, not enough. You know, uh, a beaver, eh, no thanks. You know, and he, you know, everything walks through. Dog, okay, dogs are cool. Cats, no thanks. And it keeps going all the way through, right? But there was not a helper found that was suitable for him. So what does God do? Well, he places Adam into a deep sleep. He does surgery on him. He pulls out a rib and creates a woman. And she's called woman because she's taken from man and they're both fully human. I mean, we read in the poetic summary back in Genesis one that God created both of them, male and female in his image. We're both created lacking and needing relationship. 
And uh, so Adam wakes up from this sleep and God says, Adam, I got something for you. And he brings out Eve and Adam goes, whoa, man. <laughs> and that's how she was called woman. Now it simply means that she was taken from man. And so we're, we're equal before the cross. We have different roles, we're different, but we're equal. And God de declared, he had declared everything that he created to be good except for that one thing that Adam would be alone. And so you could rightly say that God actually created us lacking, lacking. We needed something. We needed relationship. We needed a friend. Now, uh, let, let me just say one thing. Now, God did create you with personality and with uh, different things that are unique about you. Some of you are maybe like me, a little more introverted, and you need some alone time to recharge some of you uh, are, are very much extroverted, and the thing that recharges your battery is like, I just need to see more people, and I got to talk to more people, like now, right? You know, that's you. And so when I say it's not good to be alone, I'm not talking about your personality. I'm talking about relationship, and I believe that's what God is saying here as well, that it wasn't good for Adam to be alone, to not be in relationship somewhere. And part of bearing God's image is being in community, in friendship. We all need friends and it's not good for us to be alone. But here's the deal. You were created needing friends, but in your sin, you isolate yourself. In my sin, I isolate myself. Now think with me for a second of what that must have been like for Adam and Eve at the very beginning when they were created. They perfectly image God. The text tells us that they were naked and unashamed. Like they were just, in other words, like everything of who they are is there to be known. There, there was nothing to hide. There was no, the idea of shame hadn't even uh, come about yet. No one had felt shame yet. And after God creates them, he gives them uh, one rule. He puts them in the garden and he says, in the garden, you can eat of any tree you want, just not the one tree in the middle. Because if you eat of it, then you'll die. But you can eat of any other tree. Now, the garden, if you look at Genesis and you look at the boundaries that are laid out for the garden, it's not like the garden in your mom's backyard. It's like Yellowstone National Park sized garden. And you have rule and reign, Adam and Eve, over the whole thing. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Do whatever you want. Just don't eat from that tree. That's it. Well, then we get to Genesis chapter 3. I don't, we don't know how long they lived in that uh, perfect paradise. No shame, nothing to hide. Perfect relationship. How many of you would say, I've got some good friends, but I don't think any of those relationships are perfect. <laughs> right? And Matt, you, I can't even get my mind around what that would be like. Look at chapter three. We're just going to read a whole bunch of this so we get a grasp of what happens. Now, the serpent uh, was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? 
And the woman said to the serpent, well, we, we can eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, uh, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, really? You won't die. You won't die. See, Satan here, who is an angel who is created by God to serve him, but in his pride fell uh, at some point here. We're not told when that happens, but at some point before Genesis 3, in his pride falls along with a third of the other angels, and now he's here tempting Eve, and his goal is to undo everything that God has set up and to unravel it. God says, uh, you're made in my image, Go live like it. Look at what, look at what Satan does. He, he, he lies. He, he tells the opposite of what God says. God says, if you eat of it, you'll die. Satan says, you won't die. Come on. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you'll be like God. You'll, you'll know good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes. By the way, look back at verse 5. It says, then, you know, if you eat of it, then you will be like God. God actually had already created Adam and Eve like him. He gave him an identity, then gave him an activity. Satan says, no, if you do this, then you can earn God's favor and be like him. That's what every other religion teaches. It's not the gospel. He's lying to her. So the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. So she took of its fruit and ate, and then she gave some to her husband who was with her. You can't blame Eve for this. Adam was standing right there. It doesn't say she went and found him and gave him some food. She's like, no, uh, she gave him a piece of the fruit because he was right there with her. And he failed to step in as well. And he ate. And then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. In an instant... For the first time, they felt shame. You're like, I, I don't know if I can think of a day in my life where I haven't felt shame of some sort. Imagine what that's like going from no shame to complete shame in an instant. And suddenly they knew they were naked. Suddenly they knew that they had sinned. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. See, what Adam and Eve do is, see, they were created. They needed friends. They needed one another. But then as soon as sin comes along and they reject what God has designed, they, they begin to isolate themselves. Sin isolates you from community. And they, they sew fig leaves together. And then what do they do? Well, if you keep reading, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. After recognizing that they had sinned and that this sin had, had put a wedge between them and God in this relationship, and ultimately we're gonna see between them and each other, they hide. Friends, you're created needing friendship and needing relationship, but the reality is we are all jacked up. We are all sinners in need of God's grace. And by his grace, even after you trust him and you're made new, there's, there's still sin dwelling in you that one day Jesus is going to come and totally wipe out. But in your sin, the tendency now is just to isolate yourself. 
I don't know, it's a lot of work to really get involved in community. It's a lot of work to be a friend. And that becomes kind of our default. Has anybody ever experienced that? And in, sin causes us to isolate ourselves. It tears community apart. Adam and Eve hide when they sin. And isolation is so dangerous because it takes you away from God's true design for who you are. When you isolate yourself, I'm not, again, I'm not talking introvert versus extrovert, but isolation, no friends, not allowing myself to be known. This is what sin does. It tears apart what God has joined together. It happens in marriages. It happens in friendships. Do you know that sin, you could even argue, sin tore apart the relationship of the Trinity. When Jesus dies on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Sin isolates us. See, you were made, we, we all need friends, but in sin, we isolate ourselves. So what does God do? Well, in Jesus, then he offers us family. He offers us family. That when you become a Christian, you trust Jesus. One of the things that he does is he reconciles us and he makes true community possible again. True friendship, truly being known. He makes that possible again, being in relationship with him and with each other. And I would argue that if you've trusted Christ, you've been saved not just to go through life on your own, but to now, uh, he's put that mirror back together of how you reflect God and you're to do that hand in hand, arm in arm with other people. You need friends, plural. You do. But I know it's incredibly hard, especially in a day when everybody's talking about being connected and there's so much social connection, but more and more and more people are isolated. And more and more and more sin drives us from one another and from other people and from God. But I would argue that only those who've really trusted Jesus can begin to rightly image him like you're supposed to with your identity completely transformed in him. And Jesus is the one, friends, who does this. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 2. If you've got your Bible, just turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. It's way over uh, to the right side. And if you don't have your Bible with you or you can't find it, it'll be on the screen. I'll read a few verses here ahead of this. But in Ephesians 2, uh, Paul talks about this. He says to the church there, he says, You were dead in your sin that you once walked. You were dead. We talked about some of the consequences of sin. In other words, you were isolated. You were on your own. You were separated from God. You were separated from relationship with other people. And he goes on and on. He says, remember at one time, remember that you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise. You had no hope and you were without God in the world. But now verse 13, in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace who's made us both one. He's broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. Going on in verse 15, this should be on the screen now, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. And through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens. 
In other words, you're no longer isolated, but you're fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Friends, the idea here is that Jesus is the one who makes true friendship and community possible. Again, he reconciles you to God and he reconciles you with each other. And apart from that, you may pursue friendship and that's better than being alone, completely alone, but but true friendship is when uh, there's that common unity, that's what community means, in a reconciled relationship with Jesus Christ. In trusting Jesus, becoming a Christian. See, going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Trusting Jesus makes you a Christian. And if you are a Christian, you've been created not to go through life on your own, but you need friends. We all need friends. In your sin, you might isolate yourself, but God has given you a family and he wants you to get connected. Now we're gonna talk more about this over the coming weeks, but today was really just laying out the why. The why is you've been created in God's image. You bear his image. And the only way you're fully gonna live out what he designed you and who he designed you to be is when you're in relationship with other people. You need friends. Now you may be sitting there going, yeah, I know, and I don't have any. Thanks for rubbing it in. Well, let me give you a couple things to take away today. Uh, Over the next couple weeks, we're gonna talk more about the what and how of friendship as God designed it and relationship. But in the meantime, let me give you a few thoughts of how maybe you can start to take some steps this year toward true friendship with someone, with other people. Uh, First, I would encourage you, get involved, be here, show up. The easiest thing to do in our sin is just to not come. To feel like, I mean, the enemy will lie to you and say, nobody's going to notice if you're not there. Nobody's going to care that you're not there. It's a lot of work. Do you really want to see that person? Why don't you just stay home? No, man, man, get here. Gather with us. Attend the events that are laid out that you, you can go to. Listen, it might be incredibly hard. I'm not negating that. But you got to be here. We miss you when you're not here. So, so attend, be here, be present. And another way, uh, do you want to make some friends? Volunteer. And that might be in the community somewhere, but you know there's a lot of opportunities even to volunteer right here in church. And in fact, uh, the church has often used this term uh, for community or friendship. You ever heard the term fellowship? In fact, we call that big room over there the fellowship hall. I, I never use that word anywhere other than at church. Do you? Fellowship? Maybe you do, I don't. It's kind of a, a dying word. But here's a way to understand fellowship, true fellowship. A bunch of fellows in the same ship. Now think about that. If you're on a ship, where are you going? The same direction everybody else on the ship is going. You might have some freedom to run around and do your thing on the deck or in your whatever else, but in the end, you're going the same direction. So you have unique gifts and abilities where you can plug in and serve, and it might be totally different than what I do and totally different than what somebody else does. But if you really wanna know true fellowship, get on the ship and serve and get going in the same direction with us. That's one way maybe you could find some friends. 
Another one, a really simple one, accept invitations. Speaking to the introverts among us. When somebody invites you to do something, do it. Go ahead and reject the next three or four, but then the fifth one, (laughs) say yes. Accept some invitations. You know, uh, take a step. Maybe you would, uh, that's not your style, you're the extrovert. You want to create the invitation yourself. There's a lot of people who are longing to be invited into friendship. And finally, one really obvious one today. When you walk out the doors, if you go right behind where the sound booth is, there's a whole bunch of these kiosks set up where, uh, I don't know if you've noticed, if you've been around here very long, we don't have a whole lot of programming going on during the week in terms of the church as a whole. You know why? Because we believe so much in this idea that uh, we all need friends. We've made it a core value of our church and we've scheduled our ministry around it. We want you to get involved in a small group, in a life group. And there's a great opportunity for you to sign up. Maybe you've had a bad experience in the past. It's okay, try a new group where you can sign up. And again, you're not signing up for life. So if it doesn't go well, you can take a break if things get busy or uh, you can take a break if you just need to find a different group and there's nothing to worry about or be, be ashamed of, but, but start taking those steps on your own to be known and to get into relationship. Hannah and I took a big step this last year. We started a group um, for young marrieds and uh, we have what, 14 people in our group and uh, most of them, I don't think anybody's, everybody's been there regularly. Uh, people have to miss here and there for that. But man, it's been so much fun getting to know new people and getting connected. And I think if you would talk to people in our group, they would say the same things. Like maybe there was some hesitation going into it. Like, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of risky. But man, I'm so excited for another semester of that group to get to know them more, to be known more. Listen, you need friends. Don't isolate yourself. God's given you a family. Let me pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thanks for your grace to us. Thanks for uh, saving us and offering us relationship and family, relationship with you and relationship with one another. Lord, I pray for each one in our church. Lord, the reality is that uh, most of us struggle uh, to some degree and some to really heavy degrees with loneliness and with isolation and the enemy would want nothing more than for us to stay there. I pray for each one, Lord, you know their circumstances, you know who they are, you know and you care. Would you give them the courage to take a step of faith to, um, to start to get plugged into relationship, bring friends around them? Maybe you would cause someone to invite them. Maybe you'd give them the courage to sign up and to respond to invitation. But Lord, I pray that our church would be one where deep friendships abound because you've created us for that. Lord, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and join us?
get signed up for a life group. God's made you needing friendship. And as you seek him, he'll give that to you. But you've got to take some steps of obedience to get there. Don't be afraid. We would love for you to get connected.